Hi everyone, it's that time of year again where we're having our early bird registrations for Camp Elevate 2020. This year we're going to be in Rock Hill, New York, and you can go to the Eventbrite page uh, website and search Camp Elevate 2020 where you'll find our page to sign up and join us at camp. Um, this year, um, for the early bird, you just type in early bird 2020 right now, and you'll get $75 off. That, again, that's early bird 2020, all caps, to get $75 off. Camp Elevate is a very unique experience where all coaches of all sports come together. We do a lot of personal and professional development, and we also have a lot of fun. So check it out on the Eventbrite page, and I hope that we will see you in Rock Hill in May. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Coaches on the Rise, the podcast for all coaches of all sports. I'm your host, Celia Slater. And today we have a great opportunity to visit with Allison Swain, who is the head tennis coach at USC in Southern California. Um, and prior to going to USC three years ago, she was the head tennis coach at Williams College, where she kind of built the tennis dynasty. I, I mean, I don't know, you tell me. Out of the 10 years that Allison was at Williams College, she won eight Division Three team championships. Pretty amazing. And so she talks a lot about how she made the transition when she decided to go from Division Three to a Power Five job across the country and all the different things that she's experienced in this transition, the lessons learned, um, the things that have been very easily transferable and some that have been a little bit more challenging. But in, in, the, in the three years that she's been there, she's done an amazing job getting that team into the top 25 um, already. So I know you're going to really enjoy this conversation. So let's get to it. Enjoy the show. So welcome, Allison. Thanks for taking time with me. Thanks for having me, Celia. Well, you know, when I look at your career, Allison, it is so interesting to me because you know, going to Williams, and I, I, I loved reading your bio because I learned things I never knew about you, um, like you're from Bainbridge Island. Um, <laughs> I love that place. And then, you know, the fact that you coached high school, I did not know that about you. Mm -hmm. And then you wound up at Williams, where you were there for 10 years, right? And then right. eight out of those 10 years, you won a national championship which is right. a little crazy when you really <laughs> It was crazy. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah. it, was not, it was not the plan. Yeah, but still, that's an amazing accomplishment. And then those other years you didn't win, you like uh, still had fabulous seasons by many people's standards. So um, just in reflecting on that, what when you were there, um, you became this head coach at Williams, do you remember having a conscious process in your head of that you followed to become such a championship program and to create that type of culture? Yeah, it was really interesting looking back. You know, I had never been an assistant coach. I had coached a few years of high school tennis and fell in love with it. And um, I remember calling my, my college coach after my first season of coaching high school tennis. And I said, this is what I want to do with my life. I love coaching tennis as a team sport. And 
the only place you can really do that is in college. But I had no idea how to get into it, and she didn't either. And in D3 back then, there weren't a lot of assistant positions, and they paid you know, a couple thousand dollars, and I didn't really have a path or guidance. And um, you know, fast forward six years later, and my coach gives me a call and says, hey, I'm leaving. I think you should apply for the job. And, and I did. And, you know, I'm forever grateful to Williams for so many reasons. It's where I went as an undergrad and where I coached for 10 years. But one of the things I'm most grateful for is, is they took a chance on me not having any college coaching experience and, and hired me. And, you know, in, in large part, I'm sure that was partly because, um, you know, my coach was excited about me being back there when she left. And also I had played there and, and my, the teams I were, was on, were on had a lot of success. Um, so I took the job. I didn't have an assistant coach for my first five years, which in hindsight was probably a blessing because I don't know that I was prepared to manage somebody else at that time, not having coached college before. And honestly, I think like most programs, when you get a job as a head coach, there's not a lot of guidance. They kind of expect you to come in and hit the ground running and, and run the program. And um, I, I did that. And I think some of the things that really helped me were knowing Williams and having stayed in touch with the program and my coach and, and my, my coach was a great mentor to me when I took over and I talked to her a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I talked to the men's coach, tennis coach a lot and talked through things. So having a circle is one of the keys, I think for any position, especially when you get started. And I, I created that. Um, it was very small, but I created that from the get go. And then I, I'm naturally pretty confident in my instincts and I trusted my instincts um, and I developed good relationships with the players and I, you know, I would use my circle to vet things, but I really trusted my instincts and I never expected to win a national championship in my first year. Um, you know, I was kind of handed the keys to a Ferrari, which helped, you know, we had the, <laughs> the people um, and the girls were really responsive to me uh, in my first year. And then I never expected to win six. I mean, it was, it was this crazy ride. And we really focused a lot on the team dynamic and our team culture. Um, and, and that made a difference to me. The other thing that was kind of funny that made a difference to me is, you know, not coming from coaching college, I really, really had very little idea about the rankings and recruiting and all of that. And I was getting up to speed on that. And my first year, I really trusted my instincts on who I liked. And I, I, yeah, I saw video or I saw them play in person. But I remember there's a girl who I took who was probably 75 spots lower in the rankings than another player that wanted to come to Williams. And I just had a real instinct about her work ethic and her drive. And if I had known more about the rankings, I maybe wouldn't have done that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and she was awesome. I mean, she she clinched three NCA matches for us in her time wow. at Williams, which is pretty incredible. And it's like, hey, some sometimes it's better not to know more and just trust yourself. Yeah. No, it was so like that's such a great point because I do think one of the biggest things that I'm I feel like I'm constantly working with younger coaches is to trust themselves, you know, that that mm-hmm. self-trust, um, which, you know some people would define as confidence, you know, is your ability to trust yourself. Um, Could you dissect it a little bit more about when you say that you spent a lot of time on your culture and developing the Mm -hmm. team? Like, can you give a couple examples of things that you would do at Williams to do that? 
Yeah. So um, I, I think there's two parts to culture if I was going to break it down. The first part is the dynamic of the players and coaches and how they relate to one, each, one another, get along with one another, communicate with one another, support one another. Um, the second part is the on-court or in-match um, personality of your team. Uh, what I like to think of as kind of the grit, the toughness, the competitive drive. And I think the trust among team members also goes into that. So they certainly overlap because you build the trust off court and on court and it really affects what goes on on court. But you have this team culture, team character you would build of um, of how you compete. So, you know, what I like to say to my players sometimes is how if someone was to walk in and watch our match, how would they, you want them to describe us if they just saw a match? And then, you know, if the other question is if, if student, other student athletes or other students on campus, other coaches on campus, other people in the department, how do you think they would describe our team? And that's more the, the off-court stuff. So mm -hmm. um, things we did is, you know, sometimes doing things off-court are, are as important as on-court, but I think you can overlap building all those things in training and in bus rides, in hotel stays, in travel. Um, I do think time together is really important. So Williams, we had a two-week spring break. That was a huge time for us. We were always traveling during that time. It's a lot of, a lot of just time together. Um, and we would do fun things along the way. We would have scavenger hunts. We would have mini dates. Um, I've done bingo cards in downtimes of our off season where the players check off bingo squares for getting things done. Um, and some of those, uh, a lot of those relate to spending time with teammates off the tennis court. Mm -hmm. um, at USC, we have a lot of resources, so I get to do some more creative things. And we start every year with a team retreat. Um, and that's really helpful. And that's really about building our culture. We actually don't hit a tennis ball during those three days at all. Right. So you touched on um, looking on, you know, the, the culture part on, on the court. And mm -hmm. you were taught, you brought up grit, competitive, mm -hmm. competitiveness, um, you know, those types of characteristics. So could you identify the traits of your ideal recruit? Like, do, I mean, do you think you can develop grit? Or is that something? I, th I think, that yeah. Yeah, I've definitely seen grit develop. I have for sure. And it's most easily done when that player comes into an environment where that's being displayed by a majority of your players or at least a majority of the starters. Uh, when I got to USC, there wasn't a lot of grit. And so that was really interesting to try to start to develop. But I do think you can train it. In recruits, what I find really important is internal motivation. I usually personally with my personality work best with athletes that are go pretty goal oriented and that have shown a pattern of hard work. And those work well for me and then for my personality, someone that works well with pretty direct communication. Mm -hmm. um, so I look for those traits, you can't always identify them. Um, but I ask a lot of questions. I talk to their coaches. I talk to their parents. Uh, and I, I try to see that the best I can. Mm -hmm. So in, in going from Williams to USC, now we're going to talk about that transition for you a little bit and why you took the job and whatnot. But 
what what is something that comes up for you that you would say you know for a fact that you took from Williams to USC, like maybe one or two mm -hmm. or three things? Mm -hmm. For sure, I took the the just I won't even say belief the the because I think I proved it at Williams like the understanding that culture was going to be the biggest difference maker. Mm -hmm. and and creating the culture that I knew could be successful was going to be one of the biggest and most important things I did. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's number one. I actually think that in the transition, um, there were other things that I really believed at Williams and had learned at Williams. And in this kind of pressure of this new Power 5 environment and so many things being different, I lost track of those things and it, it hurt me a little bit. And, um, you know, that's where I have some regret that I lost trust in myself and what I knew, but, but I did really stick true to, you know, this idea of changing the culture there was going to be the most important thing I did. Mm -hmm. Is that your dog drinking out of a water bowl? <laughs> it is. She's really noisy. <laughs> that's so cute. Well, you know I didn't know I could hear that. Yep, that's awesome. That's Mom, you know how much of a dog person I am. I'm, I'm the, I know. the ultimate foster failure. Uh, yeah. So, um, so let's, let's go ahead and talk a little bit then about, you know, this, the decision, how that even mm -hmm. came about, this whole yeah. opportunity to move on to USC. Mm -hmm. So, how did that come about? Because I, I thought I remember a story. Oscar. <laughs> your dog's funny. He's, he's determined to be in the podcast. That's funny. I know. Um, you know, like, I don't know if a lot of people know the story, because I, I think I remember something about you being on a panel with uh, the men's coach at USC. Is that part of the yeah. story? Or you, go ahead. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I basically got a call out of the about the position. And let me just give you a sense of how far out of the power five I was at that time. Like I didn't even know that the, the, the current coach um, at USC for the women had resigned. He resigned back in March and I got a phone call in May and I wasn't even aware that <laughs> they basically didn't have a head coach at that time. So, um, you know, that's how, you know, I paid attention to the results and stuff and, and that, but that's how far out of that world I was. So, yeah, I mean, two or three years before, I had served on a panel at our coaching convention with the Florida women's coach and the USC men's coach, and, you know, he didn't know, he had no reason to know who I was and, and didn't until that time, and um, all three of us had a great time on that panel and really shared a lot of common themes about what made our team successful. And um, that's how he even knew about Williams and who I was and the success of our program. And, um, you know, fast forward several years later and this position opens up and I got a call from someone at SC saying, hey, you should think about this job and would you be interested? And, and that's when I decided to throw my name in the hat. Um, and I will tell everyone listening to this podcast, like, when I decided to apply, I did not know that I would want to take the job and I did not know that I would get it. And I did not know if they would really take a serious look at me, but I think it's so important to apply. And, um, when you don't apply, you can't figure out if it's the right move for you. And it's really, really important to have a good relationship with your administrator 
so that you can have those conversations when you decide to apply for something and it gets further down the road. And it's really important to put yourself out there. Mm. Um, and I think so many people don't because they feel like they need to have the decision made before they apply and you don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you mentioned like there's a couple themes here around jobs and transitioning is, you know, you, you did, you go to your conventions, you get out there, you meet other people, mm -hmm. you're, you're networking because you never know who's going mm -hmm. to re recommend you for these jobs. And, and then along those lines too, I feel like there's another layer of messaging there because you happen to be a female coach is that mm -hmm. a lot of female coaches won't apply for that job. Like they'll think I have, okay, I have seven out of the 10 characteristics yeah. they're looking for or requirements they're looking for, but I don't have all 10. So I'm not going mm -hmm. to apply where, you know, the men might have five out of the 10 and they'll throw their hat in the ring, you know? Right, exactly. And when I've had to, when I've been hiring assistant coaches or serving on search committees for other head coaches at Williams, which I did a lot of, there's so many more men that apply. And, and I think it's so important. And I've talked to so many women that I've worked with when they've had things that potentially interest them to come up and they're hesitant to apply. And it's just, it's really, it's really important. And I, I didn't apply for a ton of jobs when I was at Williams because I was very, very happy there, but I did apply a few times for different things and it helped open up where I saw, you know, even just seeing another program and learning from it, um, whether it's the right fit for you or not, it, it brings something new to you and it brings you new connections. And the other thing I did is I said yes to way more opportunities to work in the world of college tennis than I said no to. So for me, that meant more work. I served on ranking committees. I served on the NCAA committee. I served on, um, you know, I spoke at convention. I served on some other and chaired some other committees for our um, coaching organization. But all those were opportunities to work with other people in college tennis. And also, I think, show people that I really cared about the sport. And I think a lot of things have come my way because of saying yes to that first ranking committee I got asked to be on. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, it's so true. And, you know, I think that's one of the greatest lessons we can give younger coaches is how, how can you go about to make your world bigger and bigger outside of your sport, outside of your sport convention, like, and, and really connecting with other coaches of other sports as well, you know, and, what, what many people may not know is, uh, you know, that you are on in a mastermind group with mm -hmm. myself and like five, six other female coaches from other sports around the country. And um, we'll talk about that more later as probably a you know, part of your support in the transition. Yeah. Um, so why were you interested? What, what do you think it was that mm -hmm. ultimately made you take this leap from Williams to in some ways it was a leap, in some ways it wasn't. Yeah, it was yeah. Christine, you know? Yeah, it, it was interesting for me because I was so happy at Williams. Um, and the hardest part of leaving and making that decision to leave is leaving the community. And that's the players you coach and the coaches or whoever in your department you formed really strong relationships with. And, um, you know, I was so comfortable. Um, yeah. But that's part of the reason I left. I felt a little bit like I was on cruise control. And, um, you know, I felt like I could go on forever, maybe not winning national championships, but having really successful teams. And I, I, I'd kind of figured it out. Yeah. Um, and I was ready for a new challenge for myself. I was really curious to see if what I had learned at Williams and built at Williams, I could translate to a power five school in division one. 
um, to a program that was struggling at the time I took it over. I mean, Williams was not when I took it over. They were they were still you know top ten in the country. Um, and you know, part of it was was geography too. I'm from the West Coast. I really wanted to be back on the West Coast. I coached tennis. Um, <laughs> I wanted to be outside coaching tennis, not inside. Um, <laughs> small and details. I to, small details, but ones that affect your, you know, affect you. Um, and and I wanted more time with my athletes. You know, I've always considered myself a teacher. So um, time in Division Three is limited in a way that it's not as limited in Division One. And and I wanted more time with the the players I got to work with, both off court and on court. Mm-hmm. So you know, some people liken the transitioning. Um, we, you and I were looking at this slide that represents like one the mm-hmm. differentiation between change and transition. You know, change mm-hmm. is something that happens. It either happens because of crisis, chance, or choice. Uh, mm-hmm. You made a choice, so you're going through this yep. change. But the difference is that transition is more about how we approach it mentally, emotionally, physically. Like, how does it really affect us in our total person? That transition, yeah. you know, and it's a really juicy time, um, as you found out. So how do you feel like you approached that transition? Yeah, I, you know, I, I immediately reached out to people I trusted um, in the coaching world that I thought had some experience in D1 that could give me some insight into what I could anticipate. Um, I was very fortunate. Peter Smith, is who was the men's coach at the time at USC was really kind of willing to be one of my mentors and so I talked a lot to him mm-hmm. um, he was right there in the office yeah, you know, yeah. right next door to me so that Perfect. was a huge help um, actually Celia you recommended a book to me um, that was about transitioning that was really helpful um, that I used and read and kind of allowed me to do some personal reflection and thinking and planning mm-hmm. um, for what might come up and I just tried to be really organized, really on top of it. And the things I could control and prepare for, I tried to prepare for. And one of the biggest things, because it, there are moments where you are going to feel overwhelmed mm. and a lot more of them um, in the initial year of the transition, I tried to really have clear priorities of, okay, you know, I took over this team. We have five players on a team our roster size is supposed to be eight minimum like priority and the top two priorities was filling that roster and that had to be it so that took priority over me finding time to drive cross country and pack my belongings and find an apartment and you know that was priority that was priority number one for the first couple weeks um and and then you know once that got more under control i could plan some other things but you you really have to do that. And priority number two was getting on the phone with our um, players and our donors. And and those things took precedence at that time over me getting my life organized, mm-hmm. you know, for the first couple of weeks of the job. And, and there's times that that might have to happen early on, and then you can take care of what you need to take care of for you. So for me, that meant getting the job in early June and not physically moving until the end of July, but flying back and forth instead for a while. Right. So, so touch on a little bit, what do you feel like you've, you've learned about your own 
transition experience and you know looking back on it what would what maybe would you do differently what was the hardest mm -hmm. thing for you you know what was the big the most challenging and yeah I think you know from a just a purely administrative side one of the biggest challenges for me was just having so much more of a staff that I worked with so you know an assistant coach that really is almost like a head coach for some other programs, you know, because you have to hand off things. You cannot oversee every single thing and, and um, help with everything. And so understanding what I needed from an assistant, that took me a little while um, and being able to define that and find that. The other thing was just building relationships and really working with the staff around us and utilizing them to their fullest because we didn't have a nutritionist, you know, not full time. Um, we didn't have four sports psychologists. We didn't have two compliance people that worked with our program. We, we didn't even have one. So, wow. How about you know, strength and conditioning? I, did you have strength and conditioning at Williams? We did, we did, they did it twice a week and you know, I knew exactly what was happening. And sometimes I did it with them. And then we went to a full-time fitness coach, you know, four to five days a week. And yeah, so, so that was all really different. I mean, I went from being the head coach of a program with no assistant and very little, you know, no, basically no strength and conditioning my first year at Williams to coming to USC and realizing very quickly I needed to have a once a week meeting every week for an hour with about eight people that worked with our program. Wow. <laughs> Very wow. different. So you really had to up your management skills. Yeah, I really had to up my management skills fast. And I had to realize that I wasn't going to be on court for every single minute one of our athletes was on court because there was more of a management piece to that. Mm. So that was a big one. And then, you know, I like to think all athletes are very similar, but but really the background of most of the girls I coach is very different. They did not, you know, grow up going to group lessons and having, you know, 10 or 15 other kids in a, in a group session that they trained with, um, you know, and, and not being the best one in that group, which was much more similar to my players in D3. They grew up having private lessons being sought after to be by several coaches to just get to train with them um, to most of them dictating their own training schedule. And um, that's a very different environment and very different transition for them when they now come into a program where we have 18 practice every day that they're expected to be at and do the whole thing and, you know, do a fitness program that is, is for 10 other people, not just them. And they're supposed to show up every day and it's part of their responsibility. And that's, it's a very different set of expectations than how most of them were trained before college. Mm -hmm. So if you, you know, had to say a few things that you feel like you did well in the transition and then mm -hmm. what are a few things that you feel like you would like to have done differently? Yeah, I do think I've, I've, I changed the culture. We've worked really hard to in, institute a, a culture that I believe in um, that I think is healthy and uh, create success um, and healthy for the athletes. I think in the very beginning when I was setting up my structure for our, for our team, I really trusted my instincts and what had worked at Williams. Mm -hmm. um, and I think now two and a half years 
I see that we I've adapted that well to what works uh, and what appropriate expectations are for these athletes. But I think that was a real struggle in year two for me, a real struggle. I think it took me a lot to see that and to adapt to it. And I think honestly, like I found this at Williams too, like year one is kind of, everybody's excited to have somebody new in there. Everybody wants to please. You have a lot of energy. You're really excited. It's fun. It's new. It's different. Um, we didn't have a lot of success my first year, but, but people were kind of, you know, most of the girls were on board. Yeah. Um, and then year two was really when I, it was a real struggle of what I believed with where these girls were really at some new recruits coming in and this pressure for more success and all those things kind of hit. And, um, there was a lot of, I feel like there was bubbling up to a lot of change that was needed in year two. And it took me a while to see that. Mm -hmm. And that pressure, because I remember all of us talking about that with you, you know, yeah. you know, you could really crumble under that pressure, especially if you don't find outlets to talk about it mm -hmm. or talk through it you know? yeah. and have people around you that remind yeah. you of really what a great coach you are. Like, like don't yeah. second guess yourself, believe in yourself, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah, I lost a lot of confidence in my second year. And, um, you know, I, I questioned kind of the trust I had in myself and my decisions. And I said to some people, you know, it feels like I'm in a fog and I think I'm doing the right thing, but there's no way for me to know until months from now. Mm -hmm. And And it's scary, especially when you see people in your world doing things differently. And that was really hard for me. And that's when things came up like, do I turn down this recruit who's a really, really good player, but I know culture-wise is going to be super tough for us. But what's around the bend if I say no to her? Is somebody else going to come along? Can I help develop a player that's not as good a recruit but has these personality traits? Those are things I didn't question at Williams. And um, I really questioned that, you know, as part of coming to terms with what do I really need from my coaching staff? And can the people here fit that role? Or, you know, um, and how do I ask for, for someone to change their, you know, to change what they're doing, what the expectation is. And, um, and, you know, so I think it took longer to develop relationships with some of my players that weren't able to fit the expectations I had. Um, and then seeing how important it was to build the relationship first before I can put that expectation on them. Mm. And almost for me, like, that became that's worked much better this year for me um in my third year it all starts if you have a player come in and they're not ready to meet the expectations of what it means to be a great teammate in our program and what we're asking of you instead of expecting them to go from zero to a hundred how do i help them go from zero to 50 and it's by creating this relationship where we can really communicate well and then how do I help the rest of the team who are at 100 understand that 50 is really good for this person for now and they're going to get there wow. and not lose the rest of the team. And that's, 
that I feel like is in a much better place this year, but I didn't have that insight at all in my second year. I was just like, let's get to a (laughs) hundred. Now, let's get to a hundred now, you know? Yeah. Let's explore it. Let's be in the Tesla, you know, instead of, so I just wanted to, I want to kind of dissect a little bit this concept of discomfort. Yeah. Um, Because, you know, there's this Winston Churchill quote that says, when you're going through hell, keep going. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I think a lot of, us don't want we we're not good at sitting in the discomfort of all of this change you know and 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 keep moving you know keep going like because I think a lot of times you know as coaches sometimes our our tendency is we want to right the ship as fast as we can you Mm -hmm. know but but to really be that sometimes in change and growth there's just this uncomfortable process you know Mm -hmm. it's like that caterpillar you know having to go through the whole process of becoming a butterfly, it's like, you know, you can't rush that process. Mm -hmm. And can you talk a little bit about that discomfort? Because I feel like there's a couple of things I've noticed watching you, because I have had the pleasure and the opportunity to watch you move through this transition. And a couple of things stand out to me is like, you were willing to talk about your discomfort and you were willing to ask for help. Yeah. And, you know, not just, you know, from our group, our mastermind group, but you also reached out to Dr. Tiffany Jones, you know, you've got her mm-hmm. involved in your program, which, you know, maybe you can talk a little bit about that later, but just in all the different pieces of the discomfort, being okay in it and learning to say, okay, this is just part of the process and asking mm-hmm. for help. Yeah. You know, I don't know that I was okay with it at first, <laughs> honestly. Um, I, wa- I mean, I was in my first year and then my second year. I mean, what's funny is my first year, we finished 48 in the country, which by USC standards is pretty, it's not good. It's yeah. pretty, pretty poor. Um, and um, my second year, we finished 16 in the country. I mean, it was a remarkable job. Yeah, so there was like, so it wasn't much, that bad. <laughs> yeah, there was so much going on in our culture, you know. Um, and I was really uncomfortable almost all of last year and fearful about what was going to happen, you know, fearful about my job, fearful about what, what some of my athletes or parents would do, you know, so many things. And it was actually on one of our mastermind calls. And, you know, we all ask our athletes to, to be uncomfortable at times because growth happens in being uncomfortable and I think on one of our mastermind calls, you actually said, Celia, to me, like, you kind of reiterated that. And you said, you know, you're just in a really, you're in a really uncomfortable place right now. You're in that uncomfortable zone where you're growing. And that really helped me. Um, and I realized at that moment, I was uncomfortable pretty much all the time, which is not not what you want to do to your athletes, <laughs> you know, um, and not ideal for me either um but it helped me someone just saying that to me to be like yes that's true and that's not going to be that way forever you know whether I stay at USC for years and years and years or they get rid of me tomorrow I'm not going to be in this place forever and I still have to use my circle to help vet what I think is the right thing to do and, but ultimately trust my instincts and mm-hmm. it helped me kind of get back to that. Um, and 
there's just been moments with the mastermind group of insight, either listening to others and what they're going through or, or asking questions and getting help where it's just realizing that lots of people go through this and this is part of the process um, has really helped me stay grounded in like, it's okay to have these feelings and they aren't going to last forever. Mm -hmm. But the decisions you make are really important in these moments and you can't make decisions out of fear. Right. And sometimes you just, you have to think them through and process them. So, mm -hmm. you know, you just talking it out sometimes just yeah. to get that clarity around it before you yeah. speak or, or do something within your mm -hmm. program or within your staff or whoever. Mm -hmm. And that's so important because that helped bring my trust in myself back is to be able to talk to our mastermind group, to be able to talk to Peter Smith, to be able to talk to, you know, a couple other coaches I really trust. And also, you know, some of the staff I, I, I trust at SC. And that's always been the hard thing, I think, in these programs where you're on a contract, where you know results are important, um, is having a few people at your institution that you feel like you can vet ideas through. And for me, that's, that's taken longer but I have different people for different things, you know, mm -hmm. and actually our compliance, our compliance staff is someone I really vet a lot through because mm -hmm. there are so many issues around student athlete well-being and, and the rules in, in division one that I, I probably use, I've, I've actually been told I use our compliance a lot more than a lot of people because I, you know, that's kind of the first wall of, is this okay to do? Mm -hmm. literally you know how do you how do you think when you talk about that pressure to to succeed like do you and I know you're very active physically like you do a mm -hmm. lot so do you feel like you know those particular things like being active helped you manage some of that pressure like a little bit of a release like are there any other things that you've done to help you manage the pressure you felt when you went there yeah, so I think a life outside of coaching is really important. And um, one of the nice things about moving to Southern California for me is, you know, when I had a day off, I felt like I was on vacation. <laughs> and <laughs> I was like, oh my God, the beach is here and I can be outside and the weather's warm and yeah. I'm on vacation. So when I did have, you know, my my one day off a week, which is what's typical for me in season is, you know, I could really refresh. Um, but I do do a lot to help me. And I think, and I don't feel guilty about it. You know, I have a commute into USC when, when I can work from home in the off season and I don't have meetings on a particular day, I work from home. And, you know, I have two dogs. I, I have a boyfriend. We, we walk our dogs every day. That really helps me. Um, I have gotten into something new out here, which physical challenge is really important to me. So for me, I've gotten into open water swimming and created a community that none of them are coaches, <laughs> not a single one. Yeah. Uh, they all do different things and that's our common bond. And uh, so I have some goals outside of coaching in my personal life. And I think that that helps me. And it also helps me in coaching. Like I had never done open water swimming before. So to remember what it's like to be training to trying to be get, get better at something that helps me relate to my athletes. Yeah, that's great. You know, we, we've been talking a lot um, at true North sports about transitions and 
I, I think that no matter where they are in the athletic experience or in the life experience, everybody goes through transitions, whether you're in corporate, mm -hmm. military, teachers, you know, it doesn't matter, but our world is coaches. So when I look at, you know, when coaches, assistant coaches move to a head coaching job, and that's where, you know, we've put a lot of time into really helping and supporting those mm -hmm. coaches because I feel like how you deal with your transition, whether like you going from Williams to USC or mm -hmm. assistant coach to head coach or high school to becoming a freshman in college is, is there's so much that happens in those transitions that are emotional, that are mental, that are, you know, all these skill sets engaged that for us, we have found that if we can support an assistant coach moving into a head coaching job in those first six to eight weeks, that they are more apt to have to, to maintain their confidence level because they feel like they're supported, but also just to walk them step through step through step on what to expect, you know, how to run your first team meeting, which, you know, some of them don't even think about the, that first impression and how important yeah. it is, you know? Um, and so there's all these different skill sets, but then I just feel like that's where I am looking at more and more. How can I help coaches move through the transitions in their coaching life? Um, yeah, I really, I'm going to look to you, Allison, because you have yeah. a lot um, um, these past few years, and I'd love to have you a part of that mm -hmm. and, and gain mm -hmm. your insights um, to help other coaches with the yeah. transitions, you know, because it's, it's going to be painful. It's not always easy, and it doesn't mean yeah. you give up or you made the wrong mm -hmm. decision, you know, because they'll start second-guessing themselves, and I know you did a yeah. lot of that, so. Yep. I mean, I think the number one thing, if I was going to say the number one thing is actually having a mentor, mm -hmm. you know, and that's when I think about the transitions I've made, that's what I've had. I've had, I've had a group of people, but I've really had one person that I know I can pick up the phone and call that will not judge me, that will help me, that I can say, oh my gosh, this player just walked into my office and they're, you know, they're dealing with this or they're not liking what we're doing and what do I do? And at Williams, when I first started, I took over for my head coach and she, she was that person. And actually what's interesting is um, the head coach at Williams now is my former assistant. And I was just on the phone with her yesterday. And I feel like, you know, she just, she had a question. She knew the answer. She knew what her instinct is, but she needed to talk it through with someone that she really trusted that knew what she was going through and knew a little bit about the program ideally too. And then when I was at SC, that was Peter in my first mm -hmm. couple of years, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's, I think that's one of the best things that your program can do is, is set people up with a community and talking to each other is, is really helpful too. But that one person they can call and say, even if it's not a big deal at all, just say, Hey, this is what I'm thinking. Right. And they'll answer the phone and they'll talk to them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now let's, you know, you've kind of gotten through the uncomfortableness, not that every, <laughs> yeah, not that in one, one type of uncomfortableness, let's say, I mean, every, mm -hmm. I mean, I know a head coaches kind of have this background anxiety all the time, you know, that's playing <laughs> in the background, you know, of moving. Forward. Yeah. Um, so 
now that you're kind of getting, so this year, you know, you, so you've, you said, what was the first year your ranking was what? 40, 48 at the end 48, of the year. 48, then you moved up to 16 last year. Yep. So mm -hmm. obviously there's probably pressure to do better than that. Um, yeah. How, how are you feeling about that? And where are you guys a preseason ranking or, or mm -hmm. how do you feel like your team yeah. is where they are now and how did they get there? Yeah, there's no there's no preseason rankings until January, so we don't yeah. know what that is. Um, but you know, we had a fall season with individual results, and you know, some were good, some were fine. You know, whatever. It's kind of based on the person. Um, but yeah, I think you know, I think my thoughts about the season are more at a normal level at this point. And. Um, you know, how I felt at Williams, like I'm going into January right now, I should be exhausted. We just finished our se fall season and all that. And I'm going into January. I'm so excited. Like I'm, I'm ready for a little break, but I'm counting down the days to our first practice and that's how it should feel. So I know we're in a good place. Do I know that means we're going to finish higher than 16 or lower than 16? Not at all, because there's so many uncontrollables, you know, health, player health, all that stuff. Um, but I'm really looking forward to it. And yeah, if we're in season and we start to lose some big matches, I'm going to be worried about our results. But I also just feel that um, we're on track right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. So like some of the work that you do with um, Tiffany, like do you, yeah. do you mind talking about that a little bit? Because I think it's, um, mm -hmm. you know, really kind of helped your team um, in yeah. the area of focus and mental training and mm -hmm. emotional control and you know mm -hmm. all those things. Um, could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I was at Camp Elevate in 2018 after my first year at SC and I saw Dr. Tiff speak and I was like, I need this woman. <laughs> our team <laughs> needs this woman. <laughs> you know, our team, I knew at the end of that season, like we were not a we were not yet a gritty team. We were not yet tough competitors and we were going to be, have more talent and more bodies next year. And we needed to really work on that. And her presentation really presented ways to do that. And um, so I reached out to her, hired her. She came out and worked with us three times last year. She's coming another four times this year. And she's got amazing tools to work on the performance side, the mental side, and they're all research-based. Um, which is really interesting. And I think the way she relates to our athletes is also really good. Um, she's willing to kind of bring out a lot in them of things that they don't normally speak. They don't want to say out loud about their fear, their stress, um, and also habits that they have that they think work for them, but actually aren't helping them at all. Mm -hmm. um, so and that's been off court and on court, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and she's a good resource for my players that really want to work on the mental side, but she's also a good resource for my players who are talking about, um, you know, team dynamic or their own training and management um, of all the pressures and trying to prioritize in college for them as well. So that's been great for us. And, and I feel very fortunate we have the ability to bring in an outside resource on a somewhat regular basis, because as a head coach, I'm not going to be excellent at everything. 
Mm. And I also have limited time with my athletes. So I am, I do feel like more of a manager slash coach here. And we do work on the mental stuff without TIFF and all those things, but she provides a tremendous amount of guidance. And it's a time when she's there that we can take a little less time on court with the training and more time to focus on these aspects. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, you know, Tiffany and I have talked a lot about like how many coaches feel like their athletes break down mentally or they don't have the emotional control or the emotional mm-hmm. resiliency to move through a match or mistakes or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, and yet how few coaches are willing to commit to the time and the actual, you know, putting in some actual tools and framework for them to learn how to manage those emotions, you know? Yeah. And I think because I always feel like emotions aren't necessarily a bad thing. It's just like, how do we, you know, manage them so that we keep what, what I think she's, it's the blue zone that you guys want to be. Mm, yes. In. the blue zone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like, I, I just find it extremely fascinating when you think about the heart math work, mm-hmm. you know, and the biorhythms that each person goes through. Um, and how do you stay in that middle blue zone place? But I'm also really fascinating on entire team energy, like, and how you collectively get your energy moving in the same direction. Um, Mm -hmm. Because really, it's all about the energy of the team or the energy of the individual and what they bring that Mm -hmm. how do you get them into this space of full engagement, like where they're really engaged. I mean, to me, that that's the high performer, right? That's mm-hmm. in that full engagement place that, and that's, that's mental, physical, emotional, like they're just locked in, you know? Yep. So, yeah. And, and her work I've seen, you know, I think it takes, you know, it's not going to get done in the three or four times she's with us, but yeah. she gives us the tools and I still don't think we do enough of it. And I need to always create more time for it. Um, but I've seen with a couple players who have really bought into the work with her and do some, do the exercises when she's not there. And we talked at the beginning of this podcast about, can you teach grit? Um, you know, can you teach resiliency? And she has helped them do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes as much work as the encore work takes or changing your fitness takes. It really does. And I think a lot of athletes and coaches, but a lot of athletes aren't willing to commit to that work. Um, even when they have the tools, because they think, you know, hitting more balls is going to make the biggest difference. But right. you're right. coming up, it, what's happening in the close matches? What's happening in the, in the close games? Is it your fitness? It might be. Is yeah. it your forehand? It might be. But what mentally is going on there as well? And, um, you know, so again, it's like when I, it goes back to recruiting too, who am I going to recruit? That's internally motivated. That's really driven that mm-hmm. wants to get to that next place. And are they going to be willing to put in the work on the things that are going to be the biggest difference makers for them? Because I do think in our program, we do help them see what are going to be the biggest difference makers for you. We help identify those for them um, and give them, and then they have the resources. So some of it too is about what are they going to make the time and space for? Yeah, that's, it's so true. I mean, all of it takes practice. Like even me, like mm-hmm. I, I, you know how I'm a very dedicated meditator. Yeah. And, and I really try to practice mindfulness throughout the course of my day. And I mean, it takes practice just to create those habits. Mm-hmm. And I'm still, you know, trying to get better and better at that every day. 
um, but what a difference it's made for me, you know, just to be able to come back to breathing, to yeah. you know, be here now. Like I'm always trying to have that mantra, be here now. Um, yeah. And, um, but it's, it's, all of it takes practice. And it, I guess it's really a matter of what your priorities and your values are mm -hmm. in your program. Um, but if people are complaining to me about their lack of mental ability of their players or their competitiveness, or they're just not engaged. I'm like, well, do you practice that? You know, like, yeah. How do you, you know, you really need, and you to have to practice that. it. You have to practice it more now. Like I even noticed with me on my phone, like just sitting and doing something and not touching my phone. Like I grew up without a cell phone, but it's still hard for me to do yeah. that. So then imagine the generation we're coaching who's grown up with a cell phone who's grown up with a million things going on around them all the time and how hard that is to mm -hmm. just focus on one so yeah even more so i mean uh yeah well allison is there anything else that you would like to share on any of these topics that we've discussed because if if we're good i want to move on to some rapid fire questions to uh to round this up yeah, let's do that. All right. So these are just quick questions. So whatever jumps on you first, go ahead and answer it. Okay. Um, what's some of the best advice you've ever been given? Oh, that's a good one. Um, gosh, I think you got to be true to who you are. Yep, that's a good one. A common mistake you see coaches make. Focusing on the immediate win or loss or the immediate result, uh, not the big picture. A common mistake talented athletes make. That talent can replace hard work. What is something unique most people don't know about you? <sighs> uh, I was a whitewater rafting guide on a class five river. <laughs> All right, I love that. <laughs> What river? Well, was that up in the northwest, or was that in the? No, I was when I was a school teacher in Atlanta. I was uh, trained and became a whitewater rafting guide on the Ocoee River, which is where the '96 Olympics were for whitewater kayaking. Oh, very cool! I like that. funnest job I ever had, other than coaching. I bet, I bet. <laughs> if you could have lunch with anyone, dead or alive, who would that be? My grandma. Oh. <laughs> Great coaches know how to blank. Communicate with their athletes. Do you have a mantra that you live by? I have a new one that someone told me and I love it. And I think about it every day. Um, you have the choice to be bitter or better. Mm, I like that too. That's a good one. Besides exercise, a healthy part of your daily ritual is spending time with my dogs that's awesome <laughs> I'm, I'm like such a kindred spirit when it comes to that yeah now that i have four i um, know you guys are growing i know i know what is one piece of advice you'd give your 20 year old self god stay true to your adventurous spirit i like it and the last one well let's do two more who inspires you Oh my gosh, so many people and <clears throat> not famous people. I mean, yeah. the people I surround myself with. So nobody that I would name that you, anybody on this podcast would know, but 
the people that I think of in my inner circle, mm -hmm. they inspire me. The people I surround myself with, they inspire me. Great. Three words you hope people would use to describe your life legacy are? Mm. Caring. Passionate. And I know there's a lot of things around being a leader and being a follower and being both, but you know, I hope in, in my line of work and the impact I've had, uh, people would describe me as a leader. That's great. Well, I know I would describe you as an incredible leader and I have been so impressed and proud of you. I mean, I don't mean that in a condescending way, but <laughs> I've just watched you. Uh, I can remember um, you, Becky and I sitting in talking together in Orlando mm -hmm. at the tennis yep. facility and you were just this whole USC thing. It just like came down on you like, and now like, you know, just so proud of how you've, move through the discomfort and you know seem to be hitting your stride in your third year and I just want to you know congratulate you well thanks I can't thank you enough for including me at the very start of this mastermind group and you know it it takes people when you're making a transition it takes people you reaching out to them but also people reaching out to you um mm -hmm. that care that care and are invested in what you're doing and um want to help you and <clears throat> at that time i wasn't great about reaching out to people at usc so the mastermind group has really made a huge difference to me um in the last three years and our once a month call is something like i just get excited for it um yeah i think our next one is monday and i'm excited yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to the holiday call me too okay. i've got my uh i've got my festive wear all right all right <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Allison. I know there's some really great nuggets in here for our listeners and all the coaches that are listening um, and uh, really appreciate your time. Thanks, Celia. Hi, coaches. Thank you so much for joining us on this Coaches on the Rise episode. There's a few little things that we'd really like to ask you to do for us that might seem little, but they're huge for True North Sports. First, if you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe. And we'd really like to hear what you have to say about our podcast by writing a short review. The second thing is please share our podcast with other coaching colleagues that you have. And the third thing is join us on social media. Follow the different programs, um, things that we're offering through True North Sports for all coaches of all sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you for joining us. And until next month, keep shining bright, coaches.